where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We are continuing this morning our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, or the gifts of the Spirit, which we find in Galatians chapter 5. This is Paul's letter to the people um, church in Galatians, and he writes to them, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and those who belong to Christ are embodied with this Spirit. We today are on self-control. This is actually our second to last Sunday of the sermon. We flip-flop self-control and gentleness, and some of you may have been keeping track, and you were hoping for gentleness this morning, but (laughs) But today you get (laughs) self-control. When I think about self-control, I think about what is now a very famous um, experiment done in the 60s, the marshmallow test that was done with young kids, preschoolers, I think. And I know many of you are familiar with this. If you're not, the setup was pretty simple. The kids were put in a room with one marshmallow in front of them. And the researcher told them that it was their choice. They could eat it now or they could wait a few minutes and the researcher would come back and give them another marshmallow. Uh, The experiment's been repeated a lot and it was fun to discover there are some videos of this online. Um, You can go to YouTube and Google the marshmallow test and watch the kids in the room and the strategies they use. So some of them lick the marshmallow and then they put it back down. There's some of them that sit on their hands There's uh, one video of some siblings, and one of them is, like, ready to eat it, and the other one is like, don't do it, don't do it. None of those are um, bad strategies, right? They're all strategies that we might still be using in our adult lives or our teen lives or whatever stage that we are at. Uh, What's interesting, though, about the test is that it used to be seen as predictive, When I first learned about the marshmallow experiment, I was working uh, with uh, the Department of Human Services on early intervention, and the idea was that the marshmallow test could kind of predict a kid's success in life. If they were able to wait for that second marshmallow uh, when they were young, it was thought that that correlated to their ability to be successful adults. And we now know that's that's not as simple as that. Um, And I think that one of the reasons for that, that it's not quite so clear-cut, that we're not seeing a direct correlation between a preschool and their adult life, is that you can learn self-control throughout your life. The decisions that you make at one point don't predict who you are um, down the road, right? We learn and we grow throughout our lives. Sister Joan Chittister tells a story about a time when uh, she had a fairly serious snap in her self-control. She was at the pool 
with a friend, and this particular friend's idea of fun was to tickle people until it became painful and uncomfortable and not at all fun for the person who was experiencing it. And Sister Joan, who was not Sister Joan at this time, had hit her limit of being tickled like this in the pool locker room, and she lashed out and pushed her friend away. Well, the pool locker room floor is slippery. (laughs) Um, They were wet from the pool, and the friend fell in a way that she sort of flipped on the bench and hit her head on the lockers behind her, and as her friend crumpled to the floor, and you probably have a bodily reaction to that, right? I can see how that would happen. Uh, Sister Joan in that moment said, I am never lashing out in anger like that again. And telling this story now um, as a grown adult, she says, and I never have. Sometimes those moments where we do hit our self-control limits show us what we need to work on. It doesn't mean that we are always destined to be that person or to repeat those mistakes. Self-control is about decision-making. An anonymous author says the self-control person knows when to say no to certain possibilities in order to allow other, more productive behaviors to flourish. They are a moderate person who delights in how God created the world, and they seek to live within its bounds. And I was struck by that because we do not often hear the words self-control and delight in the same sentence. We tend to think it a lot more gloomily. Sometimes the teachings of self-control can even come across pretty moralistic. They're weighted in the realm of don't do this no matter how much you want to because it's bad. And we even hear that in some of our um, scriptures or that tone can seem to come through in some of our scriptures. There's a passage in Titus that says, for the grace of God has appeared It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And it's a good piece of advice and a good reminder, but it has often been used in a way that condemns or moralizes all sorts of things that might fall under any particular group's idea of godliness. So if your idea of godliness is one thing, you can tell people that they have to have self-control and not engage in that. It becomes an end to itself rather than the means to an end. And we see it in popular culture, too, and I want to turn to an unusual source this morning. Uh, We're going to see just a little bit of a clip from a song from Cookie Monster. (laughs) We get this feeling when we see a cookie on a plate. We want to grab it, want to eat it, oh me no can wait. But now we know that self-control is something we must learn. We want to grab it, want to eat it, but me wait. We want it. 
if you know the real version of that song, or even if you don't, it will be stuck in your head for the rest of the day, so you're welcome. <laughs> the whole song goes on like that, and Cookie Monster throughout it does talk about some strategies for self-control, and he talks about some of the same ones that we talked about with the marshmallow test. You could think about something else, you could hide it, um, and again, they're good strategies, but what's missing from the conversation in general and from Cookie Monster's song is the why of this. It's the concept of delight that the earlier quote mentioned. And so we're often left to make our own leap from self-control to happiness, which is the part that gets hard. Because if we're faced with a choice between immediate enjoyment or longer-term enjoyment, it's hard to weigh out what matters more. And we all know what kind of choices there are like that. We could study now and get good grades on a test later, or play now and enjoy some time with friends. We could eat healthy today and feel better tomorrow or down the road, or we could eat a bowl of cookies and enjoy living in the moment. And that's the kind of thing where our own advice about living well becomes conflicted. We are bombarded with messages like, live in the present, or life short, eat dessert first, at the same time that we hear things like, take care of your body, you only get one, or plan now for the future. So if self-control is really about delight or happiness or well-being, then it can't just be about what's right and wrong. It's about how do we decide. I like this image from Lewis Smedes who said, self-control is a lot like controlling an orchestra. There are some powerful players down there Passions, desires, angers, sex drives, terrors of memories, past and threats to come, and so much more. But my job is to set them free to play their part. If I let anyone take charge, I wouldn't have an orchestra. I would have a bunch of soloists on a binge. We could add to Smead's analogy by saying that our job as the conductor is also not to willy-nilly tamp down everyone's sound. No one wants to go to an orchestra and listen to something where everybody plays at the exact same volume all the time. The delight comes in the rise and the swell of the music, followed by moments perhaps of quiet. That's the spirit that inspired Lori's selection of the song Turn, Turn, Turn this morning. There is a time for things, but maybe not everything all at once. So even when we're talking about this, about these control of our emotions, the goal isn't to become completely cut off. The teaching toward self-control isn't to be monotonous, all the time in the way that we think and feel and what we allow ourselves to do. It's to be able to increase our ability to choose what instruments play the loudest. And when do they play the loudest? 
There are a couple practical strategies for this that I want to end with today, and one of those is to practice pausing. You can do that in little ways throughout your day. Even the breath that we took at the beginning of our worship service could be integrated just to pause at times. And maybe the next time your phone dings with a text message, you might practice waiting a few breaths before you check it. Not because it's bad to check it, just to practice the pause. Another one that I learned from a meditation teacher was to maybe practice pausing uh, the next time you feel a little itch on your nose. Just a breath to practice what it's like to create space between when you want to do something and when you do it. But there's also some really interesting research about the power of gratitude in increasing self-control. People who practice being grateful have a higher sense of self-control in all situations, from waiting longer to eat a treat, to keeping their tempers in tricky situations. And what I thought was really fascinating about this is that they don't have to practice being grateful in a self-control situation. It's not that when you want to eat the one marshmallow, you sit and make a gratitude list instead. It's just that if you practice being grateful throughout your life, you have a higher sense of self-control. So starting something like a daily gratitude list or counting your blessings at night before bed, a family practice like roses and thorns or powwow how, which is what our campers at La Foray do, is enough to begin to increase that sense of self-control. And the trick with gratitude practices, which some of you know because you do them, is to keep it fresh and specific. It's easy to be grateful for the same things every day. Family and friends and home and school and jobs and food. And they're all important. But naming for them can become more habitual than inspiring. And so to expand our sense of gratitude, it is better to try to find new things, even if they're small things. The sight of the flowers as you walk into the sanctuary on Sunday morning. The way your home smells as you are joining online and perhaps the lingering smell of breakfast is behind you. Anything that is specific is better than the same thing over again. And it seems fitting to me that we wrap up our thinking about self-control because by thinking about gratitude because it brings us back to that idea of delight or happiness. When we can choose how we respond to things, we're better able to make choices that are in line with God's vision for us and the world. That's the goal of self-control in the, tri- in the Christian tradition and in the scriptures. To notice what it is that we are responding to, what we are perhaps reacting to, 
and to make a space where we weigh that out with what we know to be true about the God who loves us and loves the world. And so as we continue to reflect on that idea, I invite you to rise in spirit and to join in singing, I want to live so God can use me.